0: many months previous, during the summer, when I asked our speakers to consider building their Sunday teaching around someone other than Jesus. <laughs> isn't that a funny, that's a funny comment, isn't it? But we were inviting our speakers to consider somebody in their lives, and uh, for, I think, of about five Sundays, we taught around someone other than Jesus who we might present as people who presented as heroes in our own faith journey. Now, they could have been a character out of the Bible. They could have been friends that had walked alongside of us. They could have been authors. It could have been just anybody. But pick somebody who has is, who is left and imparted something in your life. What have you learned from them, I said? Well, Jesus, the glory of God, today's teaching, our Our seventh installment from this series is ultimately meant to focus our attention entirely on the person of Jesus. And I want to begin here by reading out of Philippians chapter 2 verse verse 5 through 11. Let's see where this is going. Okay. Speaking to his friends and The church in Philippi, he says, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. and every tongue and knowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. The divine right of kings. If you ask the Greeks during the three centuries before the birth of Christ who they thought of as their heroic leaders or their rulers and kings, they might likely have pointed to leaders like Alexander the Great, who'd conquer their known world by the time he'd reached his early 30s. Born in the 3rd century B.C., Alexander succeeded his father, King Philip II, as king of Macedonia. And he was only then the age of 20 years. And straightway he made himself the ruler of all Greece. He wasted no time before settling into the task of conquering the rest of the known world. He was an ambitious guy. Already weakened by a war to defend themselves against Greece almost a century earlier, the thinly stretched dynasty of the Persian Empire eventually fell to Alexander the Great when he was only 26 years of age. So impressive was his success It was on the assistance of Alexander himself that he be considered as divine, under the divine right of kings. By the time of his death, he was only 33 years of age. But Alexander was convinced that he was not the son of King Philip II, but he was the son of the omnipotent Greek god Zeus, Over 300 years later, Paul's world is caught up with Rome's Emperor Augustus. He was the closest known equivalent to the legendary Alexander the Great. It was Augustus, after all, who had put an end to the long-running Roman Civil War and ushered in a military and politically enforced peace to the whole known world. See, heroic leadership in Paul's world always involved the strategic employment of well-trained and powerfully equipped armies. And in order to hold and to maintain any kind of a lasting power, it necessitated cunning political and organizational skills to hold all of the confliction, all of the cultures, all of the ills of a multiplied people tension. With every country you conquered, with every tongue you overcame, there came a whole set of problems that you inherited. You think being a conquering king is a lot of fun? I don't think so. I often wonder what's going on in Putin's head when he's thinking about re-expanding the Russian border. Now, over and against this backdrop, we find our Church of Philippi. Over and against this backdrop of the world's model for heroic leadership comes a very different message and a very different ethos of living that is entirely... Countercultural to the world that the Philippians had known. I touched extensively on this last week in our lesson. And I talked about the church needing to be countercultural. If you're expecting to just simply slip and fit into the world that you live in and follow Christ, you are going to find some tension in your life. And so it is with the Philippians. And see, What's even more interesting about the history of Philippi is it's now the historic site of one of Rome's largest civil wars that was led by epic players of a former generation with leaders like Mark Antony. Maybe you've heard of him. He was the guy that went and hung out with Cleopatra for a while, had a few kids. Have you heard of him? Am I? Yeah. Yeah. Now, he's not on my friends list in Facebook because that's a while ago, right? But he's, he's a real guy. But this town of Philippi was under some pressure to consider a very different kind of world power and a divine ruler overall. That's what this fledgling community represented to them. Paul's gospel heralded Jesus of Nazareth, whose resurrection from the grave and his testified ascension into heaven declared him the outright Savior King of Israel and the world's only true Lord. That's quite a mouthful, but it's quite a claim. You see, Jesus is and was and will always be God's choice for King. And as it turns out, like so many of the countless kings and usurpers throughout history, Alexander and Augustus were only some fractured picture of what real kingship is supposed to look like. Jesus was and is the world's true Lord, and he represents the truest form of the Father's kingdom and sovereign rule when he comes, and he has come. He said something to his, similar to his disciples here out of, out of Mark chapter 10, didn't he? Jesus himself said, the rulers in this world lord it over their people, and officials flaunt their authority over those under them, but among you it will be different. That doesn't sound just like a suggestion, does it? But it's going to be different. Whoever wants to be a leader among you must be your servant. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve others and to give his life as a ransom for many. Very different kind of king than the world has ever seen. Consider the vivid contrast between the the pagan gods and heroes of Paul's day and maybe even our day today. And contrast them with this person of Jesus. Now consider something else. Consider the origins of our own grasp at the opportunity to exercise our own right, our divine right to be king of our lives. Have you ever felt that sometimes? I'm going to take control. Now, a spirit of control is a fruit of the spirit, but that ain't the same spirit, is it? Imagine our own right to exercise absolute sovereignty over not only our own life, but superimposing our will over the lives of multiplied others. That's what the rulers of this world do. And that's what we sometimes do even in our democracy. Who in history, in our Old Testament stories, does this maybe remind you of? Who is arrogant enough to believe the lie and to grasp at the chance to be like God, knowing good and evil? There's a whole bunch of lies that are captured just even in that idea right there. I don't know if you know that. Imagine fooling ourselves to thinking that we could maybe take a shortcut, take a different route to be like God. Oh, we've done it. We've tried it. Alexander and Augustus were only doing what the first Adam and mankind has always done. Since ancient times, God has been on the move, however. He didn't simply just roll over, did he? But he's been on the mood to reveal his divine nature through a servant-hearted people who, despite the pain of suffering, were committed to a faithful obedience to God and to his plan to save this broken world. God loves this world. Did you know that? He's not simply going to throw a can of gas on it and flick the lighter over his shoulder on our way out, so to speak. But he loves this world. Jesus is our evidence of that. And so is his church. He began with his people Israel. He chose a people for himself. But eventually she found herself caught up in the slavery to the same sorry state that we find in our world. In fact, it says in the word of God that eventually their sin actually became greater than the sin of the nations that were pushed out to make room for them in the promised land. Wasn't that? Have you ever read that? Can you imagine such a thing? Israel's would-be rulers were only too eager to go the way of both Alexander and Augustus. But to this, Paul says, "In your relationships with one another, that's like your delect declaration to the world and to yourself, to you this fellowship. To everyone around you, it is a declaration. To our Father in heaven, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset of Christ. And here is the heart of Paul's letter. He's presenting the foundation of God's answer for self-sacrificing unity within the church. Some of you ask, how is it possible that we could be at one with one another? Yes, it is the activity of the Holy Spirit. Yes, we need His power to fulfill and to live out His purposes and will, but there is an obedience that we must have, a long obedience that we have that continues to walk towards Him and walk in His purposes. There's an answer for self-sacrificing unity within the church, and it's entirely focused on our reliance in the reigning and the living Lord Jesus Christ. What we have here today and our scriptures is foundational. It's, 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 it's like the core tenets of our faith in Jesus alone and our worship of him. What Paul presents is the earliest statement of who Jesus was and what he accomplished. What we have here is the classic doctrine of the incarnation of God in Jesus, the Messiah the Savior King, God's Son. And what do we see His Son doing? He made Himself nothing. He took on the very nature of a servant and was made in human likeness. Jesus, in other verses, it says Jesus emptied himself. Foundational to our own understanding of him, it's important to first state that at no time did Jesus ever set aside his divinity. I don't know if you know that, but it is Foundational. No time did Jesus ever set aside his divinity when he lived and he walked amongst us. Jesus didn't somehow stop being divine when he became human and then go back to being divine when he rose from the dead and ascended into heaven. He was no more, no less divine than when he came to us as a child, as a babe in the manger. You ever thought about that? His prophesied name literally means "God with us," Emmanuel. Paul's earlier point that he was was that he was already equal with God, and this is Paul kind of saying that Jesus already existed before he came into this world. Do you ever wrap your head up trying to think that through? That's like me trying to do sk- skipping jump with girls in school. I could just, I couldn't get that. Did you ever try that? Oh, did I just admit something that I wasn't supposed to admit? It's my effeminate side coming out here. Yes. Skipping rope. You gotta be quite coordinated to do that. I think it's kind of like that patting yourself on the head and doing that thing. Jesus already existed before he came into this world. That's what Paul is saying. And when he came, he came fully human. And when he came, he came fully dependent in God for his life and his identity as a person. He was dependent on God for his life in this world. He was dependent to seek his identity in his Father in heaven while he was in this world. And he was dependent to remind himself that his origins were from heaven. Jesus chose the way of obedience, and he chose obedience to God's divine plan of salvation that would ultimately take him to the cross. I'm I'm trying to stick on subject today. So maybe this is like old news for some of you guys, but I just want to remind you, it's still good news for all of us his decision to humble himself and come as a servant was not a decision to stop being divine. But it was a decision and statement about what it really meant to be divine. Jesus retained his equality with God. He never gave that up the point of the cross is exactly that think again about what paul says here out of to his friends in corinth god was in christ reconciling the world to himself never having laid his divine nature aside jesus though, didn't use his equality with God to exploit the situation he was in or the people that surrounded him. Instead, he aligned himself with his Father's will. And he took on the role of a suffering servant it was a role that eventually led him to die under the burden of the world's evil and to save us from the effects of our sin. When we see Jesus, we see the very nature of God being revealed to us. Do you believe that? Can you see it? When we see the Son of God suffering and re- Rejection in enduring a brutal miscarriage of injustice. When we see the king of the Jews humbled under the burden of a wooden cross and suffering a cursed crucifixion on a tree, we are being invited to consider that this is the truest picture that we have of our God who was absolutely selfless in his love. We sang it in our song today, didn't we? Reckless love. It's the overwhelming, never-ending, reckless love of God. It chases me down. It fights till I'm found, and it leaves the and 99. I couldn't earn it. I don't deserve it. Still you give yourself away the overwhelming and never-ending, reckless love of God. This is his revelation of himself and his love for us. There's no depth of darkness or height of depravity that he hasn't already suffered in order that he should save us. As God with us, Emmanuel, and as God's son, Jesus has done what only God can do. Therefore, Therefore, why is therefore there? Because of all of the things that he has stated about himself, right? Because of everything that he has said. Paul now draws out of his Hebrew Scriptures and he points us to a revelation of God's declaration found in Isaiah chapter 45. In the Lord alone our deliverance and strength. Before me, every knee will bow. By me, every tongue will swear. Paul uses those words and he infuses them here into his letter, into his description of Jesus and why he is the Lord and why we are to exalt him. following his progression in his letter, there is only one place that we can go with this. The God who will not share his glory with another has freely and openly shared it through Emmanuel, through his son Jesus. Because of this revelation of Jesus, Imagine this message. Because of this revelation of Jesus, because of everything Jesus has done, we are collectively drawn and called to turn our entire person, our entire attention, our entire lives to Jesus alone. We are quite literally and naturally being swept up and utterly drawn into what I believe is a place of worship. Aren't we? On a bended knee, we turn to Him. And on this revelation of God's glory being revealed through Jesus, our natural utterance of this supernatural revelation must be a place of absolute surrender and worship to him. Before time and through all eternity, Jesus is equal with God. And through his incarnation on the earth and even through his death, there was no requirement that he should somehow stop being God. In Jesus' life, his death, and his resurrection, we see God's perfect self-expression of the one true God. (laughs) Wasn't it Jesus himself who had this to say to Philip? Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. Just believe that I am in the Father and that the Father is in me. This morning, as you consider Jesus, what comes to your mind? Who wants to try to throw something out? What about your understanding as God as Father? What our New Testament writers and Paul seem to be doing is inviting us to start from Jesus himself and, and potentially rethink some of our picture of God himself as it's based around Jesus. I'll tell you, this, that particular question is the stuff that both empowers and haunts some of the theologians of our day, and some of our own people within the Vineyard Church movement itself, as we consider God's love for us, and his invitation for us to be holy as he's holy, Is God inviting you to rethink your understanding about him? God does that in my life. I didn't have that all wrapped up in the first week when I said, I do, to Jesus. And after 38 years, I'm still learning things about him that are absolutely heart-shaking and awesome and scary and disarming and mysterious. But I'm heeding Paul's counsel. Keep your eyes focused on Jesus. Have this mindset of Christ. When we stop to consider the love of God inside this framework of a God who is more clearly known when he abandons his rights for the sake of this world, it has the very real potential to mess with our expectations of ourselves and our love for one another. Oftentimes, God uses others to reveal the true nature of our heart. Have you ever found that? Do you need a heart check? When conflict Presents, it isn't so much an impasse, but an opportunity to grow more intimately and dependent in Christ and more deeply in love with the one in whom we may be struggling. This is at the heart, again, of Paul's letter to his friends in Philippi. And I write, Conflict is an opportunity to grow in our faith and love with you. This is the mind of Christ. When you look to one another, hold on to this kind of love that Christ had for us. This is the pattern of thinking that belongs to you as a f- follower of Christ Jesus. This is what he said in verse five. "We don't love because we have to love. But we love because it is the new nature of God who is living inside of us and leading us forward and onward. The proof of his love is from God. And now he lives in us who profess our trust in him. And if I might finish off what... I finished off last week. Hold on. Hold on to the love of God that is revealed through Christ. And hold on to your love for one another. Amen.